All right, welcome. You're back with the popular show with me, James A. Smith, and him, David Slavic. I'm here in rural Newfoundland. We are roughing through another ice storm, blowing snow, and a tsunami of goodwill from our neighbors. It is a great time to be on the popular show. And we are very excited for our guest today. Can you tell me a little bit about our guest today? We're joined by Kurt Mills, who is a contributing editor at the American Conservative. Uh, he's also worked for the Washington Examiner and the Spectator, and his work appears in Unheard and Newsweek. Uh, Kurt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Joining Thanks, us guys. from Los Angeles. Yes. Los Angeles is one of the, the best places in the world uh, if you don't have to live there. I, I, I lived there for a few weeks uh, in, in a very, uh, very strange sort of situation, but um, it's lovely. And But I, I'm interested to, to hear a little bit about what brought you to Los Angeles, because that, I mean, it's uh, you're going to the, the left coast as a conservative. That seems like a like either a bad move or a good move. Um, yeah, um, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Always interesting the, the term conservative. I mean, I write for the magazine. Um, it's, it's, it's probably probably not the f- first adjective I would lead to. I mean, I mean, I, I, it's a complex subject. Like you know, at this point, conserving what, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm like pro conserving the United States of America um, and its yeah. constitution. But from there, uh, we have a, like a longer conversation. But yeah, no, I think the Look, I think I think the, the the California thing is like really important. Um, I'm not sure that I would uh, found a startup business uh, here at the moment. Um, but in terms of like uh, you know the the sort of center of uh, of American cultural and political life, especially as things arguably get uh, worse in the state. Um, I mean, I'm a journalist uh, by uh, by background, so like it just seems like it's gonna be a great story, right? Like, I mean, like how much how much of the uh, how much of the stuff that you read on on the papers about you know unless you read the financial papers about what, what, what's working right the the political and cultural stuff is often about what's bad so like yeah i understand why these guys are moving to miami but if you if you want to write about the country especially the very boring biden years um i think i think california is where it's at and yeah. I, I don't know I, I i just i i buy into all the uh i buy into all the go west young men you know yeah. california it's a sort, sort yeah. of edge of edge of it all kind of thing yeah. and, and la la specifically um you know I, I think it's I think it's just an a, absolutely alpha city. I mean, one one of the one of the most important in the world. So I'm, I'm quite interested. It's 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 um it's it's funny because the the nature of LA is gorgeous, like the the sea, the the mountains, everything, and it's it's so complicated because it's it's hard to walk, and you know, as an East Coaster, it's like complicated like that way. That yeah. bad, but you, I mean, I mean, I mean, like, could you? I mean, I mean, can you really walk from the Brooklyn Bridge to? No, and, no, no, absolutely yeah, not. Uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely so. not. No, 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 absolutely. Uh, but but there is something about it, and there is like a manifest destiny aspect of it. And yes. you know that, and you feel like you're like I'm at the edge of the empire at this point, and um, yes. there's something I could do, and there's you know there's something testosterone inducing about going west. I really like it. Uh, <laughs> I guess for the testosterone, but I, I it's true. I, really, it's I, true. I, I, no, I, I buy into the manifest destiny stuff. I'm complete. 19th century man on that front yeah. but it's it's um I, I i also frankly i mean i just i'm from dc and it's just that the humidity was killing me and i've really i've really wanted yeah. to be uh in la wherever i went in california specifically for about for about 11 years so i finally made it happen yeah. um but uh you know actually one of the huge uh perks in my opinion is is that you're on pacific time um yeah. and for somebody who's who's keen to, to develop um i don't know twitter or internet-based sleep disorders um, I'm happy. I'm happy for things to calm down about midnight around this time or even earlier. Yeah. yeah. So for, for me, I'm, I'm uh, at the furthest point East in North America. I mean, yes. Newfoundland. yes, I heard and, that. I heard that. Yes. And I'll tell you, it's, it's beautiful because it allows me to work with James who's in, in the UK and it, yes. um, and it also allows me to, I, I primarily do a lot of work with people in Toronto and it allows me to be an hour and a half ahead of them. So I'm, I, I'm not an early riser but i am mm-hmm. now because i'm just naturally getting a head start it's nice yeah no i mean i was actually i did a fellowship out here two two three years ago and this is when i work, was working for the brits the the spectator and 
oh my god it was just <laughs> uh it was it was it was kind of good but also like with the london time i really had to get up quite early <laughs> so so um Curtis, in, in the wake of the um awesome national conservatism conference uh in florida uh which was back in uh, september i think um I think david brooks, late, late, late october late october, october and early november yeah. so, so david brooks uh courtier of the George W. Bush administration and apologies yes. for the Iraq war wrote in The Atlantic that what passes for conservatism now is nearly the opposite of the Burkean conservatism I encountered in my youth today. What passes for the worldview of the right is a set of resentful animosities, a partisan attachment to Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson, a sort of mental brutalism, the rich philosophical perspective that dazzled me then has been reduced to Fox News and vote uh, voter suppression. So, Kurt, you were at that conference uh, speaking on foreign policy, and you are part of the great reduction. Um, could you give us a, a, a bit of a kind of um, perspective on what the sort of schism opening on the right um, is in America right now? Yeah, um... So I'm trying to tour where it started. I, I'll make it personal. Um, so yeah, so I saw the Brooks piece and uh, you, you saw the guy walking around. I'm like, oh, that's David Brooks. You know, I've been, <laughs> been seeing seen his books since I was a kid. Um, you know, he's obviously like one of the most important columnists in America. And honestly, I'm, I mean, if you wanted to bring on someone to be fire breathingly mean about uh, David Brooks, um, I'm probably not the, the top person participated in that conference to, to do that. I, I do think he's like a smart guy. I do think he's like thoughtful. I do think he's like you know reasonably well-meaning. Um, what, what what was always interesting about you know the sort of and you mentioned his his sort of Bush administration pedigree, but of course he was also like fairly pro Obama. You know, this is this is somebody who's who's been like pro a lot of um, a lot of the governmental positions that have made the country the way it is, right? And so um, I don't know. It's just like I, it's it's very interesting that there's a lot of criticisms about people that are trying to change the country and not a lot of introspection about how we got here. And like uh, David Brooks is probably one of the most influential people in America and probably one of the most influential voices of, behind a lot of the choices this country made the last 20 years. And so if he's disappointed by what he's seen at at places like I guess NatCon in Orlando, I would only ask: is there, is there no consideration? I'm sure there is, but why doesn't he write anything about how we got there? There's, there's, there's very, I see very, very little um, contemporary writing from him that 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 examines both the you know the disastrous Bush administration and the extremely disappointing Obama administration. I mean, he really has uh, gotten. He's given himself a pass in many ways for his sort yes. of neocon past, and and I, I think that he he I mean he's to me and you know this is not your words and you, these don't yeah. are not could be attributed to you. I think he's like an embarrassment to sort of uh, conservative thinking because it, I'm not a conservative, but I, I'm very interested mm -hmm. in conservative thinkers, and uh, he I think in many ways he's he's made his cosmopolitanism like like the the hallmark of sort of what he does. And he thinks because he's like, you know, like lives in New York and he does what he does that he doesn't have to like have, you know, any consequences towards his past behaviors. And like, like the conservative movement, in my opinion, is evolving past its sort of neocon past. And I think mm. that he is, he's not evolving with it. And I think that that's one of the more interesting aspects of seeing what people like David Brooks, you know, and you know Nick Kristoff and all these kind of guys go through. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I think Brooks lives in Washington, but I could be mistaken. I'm sure he's between the, the two. But I, 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 I would say just as a general matter, and I'm happy to say this in public. Like, I mean, it, given the, the 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 readership of the New York Times and the historic importance of it to the United States, I mean, it's just it's a scandal in my opinion that there's not, uh, you know, and I th I think uh, Ralph Douthat is is the best conservative columnist at the times and i know him a little bit but i mean it's just a scandal that there's not one single uh you know i don't want to say pro-trump but like at least like you know somebody voted for trump in 2016 for instance who's, who does i mean th this is the perspective of of what 47 48 49 percent of the country and you know if you want to talk about you know democratic breakdown lack of you know lack of faith in institutions all the kind of things that um 
that people complain about, especially readers of the New York Times or writers of the New York Times. Um, I mean, they could they could really put up or shut up and, and, and at least have you know one one perspective of that, you know, one or two. And, and it's and it's obviously not someone like Brooks. Um, I mean, what, what, what Brooks you know functionally represents is the ousted faction of the Republican Party, and you know by all by all accounts, the Republican Party gets less votes. So you're dealing with an ousted faction of of the, of the slightly less popular party. Uh, so. I don't know. I mean, I think he's smart, but there's a lot of smart people and, you know, uh, they don't get the columns in the New York Times. What would you say um, you, your uh, sort of faction of the Republican Party is trying to achieve now, uh, a year into the Biden administration uh, and with the, the kind of the prospect of uh, another Trump run? What, 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 do you, what do you see as the unfinished business? What are you trying to change in the party? Well, I mean, to be clear, I mean, I, I do consider myself a journalist. So, I mean, I'm not a, a not, you know, <laughs> strictly speaking, or, or not, not, I, if I'm a political activist, I'm a really bad one. So, but I, I, I assume my, my public profile is, is, is associated with the sort of, you know, Buchananite or nationalist, um, you know, Trump without Trump, whatever you want to call it, right? Like the, whatever the NACON thing is, like I spoke at it. And I definitely think they have a lot of good things to say. Um, so the extent that I can ex- speak for, for, for stuff like that, you know, the, the sort of Carlson, you know, Holly, blah, 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 kind of people by profile. Um, I mean, I think, you know, uh, Biden's presidency has been, has been, has been a tale of, of two presidencies. I mean, Biden got in and I think, uh, you know, uh, Americans were ready to breathe the sigh of relief and get rid of, get rid of the pandemic. And I think when you, when you saw the first six months, it looked like, you know, the vaccine was going to, going to really solve everything. And, you know, and like, it, 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 like Biden seemed almost Teflon, you know, I mean, all, all of the, all of the things that would, would seem like weaknesses, right? Like the fact that he's not this mega celebrity like Trump or Obama, the fact that he was so old, the fact that, you know, all, all of these things helped him in the, in the general election in a way that I think a lot of people didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Trump people didn't expect. And I think, you know, there was a sort of, sort of national father feeling to, to him until Delta until Afghanistan, until inflation, until supply change. And, and, and now Biden, I mean, just astonishingly, I'm not saying it's all justified, but I mean, Biden is less popular if we believe the public polling than, than basically Trump was when he was impeached the first time. So Americans' moods um, are bad. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, we'll, we'll, I mean the, the jobs numbers today were pretty good. Uh, you know, Southwest is, 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 is serving alcohol on, on their flights again next month. So maybe the pandemic is, no, I think these things matter. In two, <laughs> no, no, in two it years. really does matter. It no, does matter. No, 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 but I mean, like, you know, yeah. I, I, you, one, one, one wonders if this is actually, you know, I mean, the, the, the front line in, in Politico playbook today or the PM version is like, you know, the, the, the sort of bullish case for Biden has Biden bottom, bottomed out. Are they going to, they're going to sort of like stanch the bleeding in November um, but like as of now, like I mean, I mean, this is this is a this is a very weak uh, president. So into that into that breach, you know, there are questions about um, what the Republicans are going to do with that. And so, I would say, like obviously, Trump is the big story. Whether or not Trump runs is a big deal. Whether or not Trump stays out of jail is a big deal. Whether or not Biden runs is a big deal. Um, I think you know we can speculate on that all day, and I'm happy to talk about this. Um, but at a certain level, the, the, the meta stuff is more interesting, right? Uh, the, the underneath the surface, right? So I'll give you an example, like Russia, Ukraine. Uh, you've got the, uh, you know, the sort of Senate GOP caucus, the sort of Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham's, Mitt Romney's, who, you know, very much want it to be, you know, sort of 2005 neoconservatism redux and, you know, to take the sort of, you know, inveterately automatically hawkish line on something like Russia. And you have, I think, basically surging influencers on the right, like Tucker Carlson, as well as younger types that obviously want to be president, like Josh Hawley, that are basically shifting what has been a generation of conservative thought on, you know, the second most important geopolitical theater uh, for the U.S. So I think there's a, there's a lot more interesting stuff going underneath the surface. Who knows if Trump's going to run? We can talk about it when it happens. I, I heard I saw someone call Josh Hawley, uh, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm sure that if we did a point by point comparison of my politics, mm. Josh Hawley would it wouldn't be favorable. But yep. I, I, I don't think he's a despot like, you know, and what someone said today that his, that his, uh, you know, um, uh, his, you know, desire to not go to war 
was it was a desperate maneuver. And I, I thought yeah. that was one of the, the was that, was that the White House? Okay. It was well, I mean, it's always the White House, but I mean, Jen Psaki yeah. is like absolutely like the, the most embarrassing uh press secretary I've ever seen. I it, honestly, no, I, you, you, Mac- you really think so? You think Absolutely. she's, I mean, you think she's, yeah, okay. I think I, I, Kaylee, I, I'm going to just say that. I, I think I thought she was bad at State Department uh, press secretary. Mm-hmm. I thought she, she was not very good. I thought uh, Matt Lee had dismantled her consistently over, over the course. This, this of is, this is the uh, AP, this is the AP yeah. questioner. I'm a big, big, yeah, big yeah. Matt Lee fan. Yeah, yeah. He, he asks good questions. He's great. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and I think he's, you know, probably sort of a anti-war kind of guy. And is, you know, if you got him, sat him down. But uh, but the interesting thing is, I think that, um, you know, the, the way the Biden administration uh, has dealt with a lot of questions in general, it's been quite embarrassing. And I, I think that as a, as a register, I'm a registered Democrat. I'm going to say that right now. A registered mm-hmm. Democrat. I am very embarrassed by how they've handled a lot of these things. And, and I'm surprised this is team 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 biden or team biden's comms or yeah i'm just i'm shocked i'm shocked and and that's the thing is that i thought that like okay you know like my mother is like a democratic committee woman in in pennsylvania and she's always like you know what we didn't like biden but you know we're but he's gonna bring the best people to to bear and i haven't seen that at all right and and i think that uh, someone like holly who's He's speaking clearly about what's a, a very pro-America position. It's like not going to war. Like calling mm-hmm. him a despot is crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I mean, I, I understand the argument that the, the American establishment, the Democratic establishment, is making about what Donald Trump and his allies are trying to do to the country vis-a-vis the election, right? And I think I, it's. it's I, I understand it, um, but you know what you see is a lack of introspection accordingly for there. Like if, 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 you're, if your absolute goal is to uphold the American idea, um, you know, like calling <laughs> your, your domestic opposition, you know, traitors at the first sign, right? You know, from, from Russia Gate, which I think, I mean, we can get into it, but I just, this is like nothing there. There wasn't. And, uh, you know, from, you know, to this, right? I mean, like, it, like it's, it's not illegal to think the U.S. shouldn't, fight Russia in a war, right? Like, no, I, like, I, like, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm not nearly as, as isolationist on the, on the subject as, frankly, I used to be, or as a lot of people who probably write from my magazine who are saying this stuff are used to. But I mean, like, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievably unsympathetic. I mean, all Holly is saying is that, A, we, should, we shouldn't admit Ukraine into NATO, because, you know, basically, if you get Ukraine to NATO, you have Article 5 protection, which is means war, right? And then two, uh, that like, you know, the people who are behind a lot of that perspective uh, got us into Iraq, let China get built up, have seen this country get worse the last 20 years. I, I, I mean, is, is that not like, is that, is that, a, is that, is, you can't say that anymore? I mean, it just, it just seems sort of obvious. Yeah, I think part of the reason why we like having people from your sort of milieu um, yep. on the show is that um, for one thing, for, for me as a kind of, as a recovering Corbyn uh, supporter, I, I, I do see certain like you know, it, it, it basically uh, I've sort of lived through that kind of thing where you belong to a faction oh. where basically people can say yeah. absolutely anything about you. Uh, you you're, know, talking about, you're talking about the anti-Semitism stuff? Oh, well, well, we can, we, we, we can, where, 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 where do you, where do you even begin? I guess we could, yeah, we can, yeah. we can, we can scratch that, that shit in, in a moment if you're up for it. But I, I guess I meant more generally, like any foreign policy statement becomes automatically kind of read in the most bad faith. There's a kind of shrinking actually of possible discourse simply because you're in the conversation, but then more positively, you know, what, what, what I see in the way that uh, you guys are sort of insurgents in the Republican Party and represent a sort of reckoning with a lot of the very real crimes of the party of the past, I, I sort of see something of like the relationship between the Corbyn project and, and uh, W. Bush's great ally, Tony Blair, um, and, and finally, the the fact that, uh, that whatever um, I, I may uh, inevitably dislike in the National Conservatism Project, making uh, a significant amount of America's politics far more anti-interventionist and anti-war, making uh, an emphasis on 
the quality of life of the working class a, uh, a a kind of central conversation point again i think all of that stuff warrants the left's uh the, the socialist left's generosity and it, it doesn't maybe a lot of friends to say that but uh, I, I i do think it's right now it's important that we've we failed i think it's important that we're we're listening to you guys actually yeah that's a really interesting comparison um i mean of course uh corbyn comes about um you know, in the context of, I, I would say, what will be remembered by historians is like an unusually uh, tumultuous time in, you know, from, from Sadica in Greece to Brexit, to his control of the Labour Party, to Trump's election, on and on and on, right? I mean, that, that sort of all happened in the mid-2000s, mid right before the pandemic anyways. Um, I think the distinction, obviously, is that uh, Trump became the head of government. Yeah. Um, you know, and Corbyn didn't. So like it would be, you know, like the, 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 the true comparison would have been if Trump had lost in 16 and then kind of hung around and see what happens there. And then also I think a major distinction is, um, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, it's, you got the, I mean, like the government, there's a whole shadow cabinet, right? In, in Britain, right? And it's all organized and there's manifestos, right? Like so far as I understand. And so like, you know, tr Trump, Trump is, both by both structurally, but also like dispositionally not doing that. So it's far more, um, uh, it's far more open season than that, right? Like, and, and, and it's not even fully clear if Trump's like in charge of it, right? Like, I mean, I think, I think if he runs, a lot of people will fall in line behind all this, but there's a good chance he doesn't run and there's a good chance he runs or loses. So it's, so, you know, it's not, it's, it's far more bifurcated. So it's like, it's more interesting because Trump won on the one hand, but it's also like way less clear because, you know, it's not like an up and down vote on Corbynism, you know? So, yeah. And then also, I mean, like importantly, you know, you know, take something like NatCon, Trump hasn't spoken at one or two. And I think there are all types of people there who, you know, who, who are speaking there, who, who, uh, who have, who are not basically Trump supporters. So it, it's, it's a little bit more complex. We'll keep you on Ukraine because th this is a this is a big sort of test case. I, I mean, we we covered uh, the Afghanistan withdrawal uh, back in the summer, as everyone did, uh, and we were particularly interested in the way in which it, it did seem to represent something of a crisis for some of the uh, kind of Tucker Carlson sort of yeah. faction, because a great deal of the presentation was Biden is. The war machine, the deep state, as usual, and and yeah. we, the successors to Trump, represent the break. And, and I think maybe they weren't expecting so much continuity with Trump's foreign policy. Uh, we come around to this, and and it is Republican voices who are much more uh, anti-interventionist than uh, Democratic ones. I think it's fair to say. Um, maybe you could you could give us a bit of a, an appraisal of your your own view of the of the situation, uh, and also um, give, give us uh, give us what you mean by saying that, uh, that that increasingly parts of the Republican Party are anti anti Putin. That's in your your mm. latest uh, article in, in TAC. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I would say with the Democrats is that they you know the, the institutional Democrats, the established Democrats, they really care about Russia. Right. So like like if you want to say like the Republicans are irrational about like say Iran, like you some some of the uh you know, some of the rhetoric coming out of corners of the Republican Party, I think it's mirror image and it's a lot bigger deal because uh, the Russians actually have nukes <laughs> and the Iranians don't. Uh the mirror image is Russia. And I think like, you know, your sort of median I don't know, I mean I think I think I think Obviously, a lot of the bad blood is from the sort of Hillary wing in 2016, where they, you know, these are people who actually think uh, that, you know, Putin changed voter machines or there's an actual P tape or, you know, Trump is actually working with 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 Putin. I mean, I, I will I will say it's ironic and hilarious. I mean, if you look at the actual policy, if, if Putin owns Trump and the Republicans, he's doing an awful job of it, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Trump's Trump's policy on Russia was more hawkish than Obama's, right? And yeah. you know, you read you read all this stuff in the New York Times about a possible Ukrainian insurgency. Well, I mean, wh why would there be an insurgency? Because Trump gave <laughs> the Ukrainians Patriot missiles, right? I yeah. mean, which an order that Biden canceled last year. So. I mean, on, on policy, not, I, I'm, I'm not sure how much of, you know, Trump is paying attention to the, the details of this, but from, from bank sanctions to, to actual heavy weapons, uh, 
the Ukrainians were, were supplied by, by the Trump administration, not, not really the Obama or the Biden administration. That all being said, in terms of like a conception or actually caring about Russia in any real passionate way, it's super clear the Democrats you know, do. And I think like you take someone like Saki and I, I, I've got to be, you know, uh, I, 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 it doesn't trigger me as, as much as a lot of people, but I, th- I think she's, I, I mean, I think she's a representation of, of, of a certain worldview. It's not a worldview I, I, I hold. It's, it's, it's a very sort of woke corporate democratic bureaucratic uh, perspective. It's not my perspective, but you take someone like Saki, let's not, let's, let's depersonalize. I don't know what she thinks, but I think a lot of people within the democratic party look at Putin as this boogeyman head of a global alt-right, right? You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's the white kind of more Christianizing, um, you know, uh, strongman mafioso, old boys club, KG, like whatever, right? And like, and it, it, you know, some of this stuff loses coherence, right? Like, you know, I will pick on someone, Joy Reid at MSNBC, who thinks that like <laughs> somehow, somehow Putin is in charge of the Soviet Union and somehow the Soviet Union is right wing, which yeah. interesting. When, when, um, she but, mentioned like, the, when she mentioned the, uh, she, she said that Melania was, uh, Yugoslavia was part of the Soviet sure. Union. And all that. I mean, that was, sure. I, as someone, I, I, I used to be a bit of an expert on, on, uh, sort of the Balkans, and I just—I was shocked. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, I think it would probably be—it would be probably news to Trump if his wife was Yugoslavian as well. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> Slovenia right, was the yeah. least was yeah. like—I mean, it's like cheap Italy, right? I, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. No, it's—it's it's a good thing. It's, but yeah, it's, it's like it's, a, it's like generic <laughs> Germany. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, like uh, I, I don't know that they, they, they really care about it, and uh, you know, they're, they're just like the, the little slip ups, like the White House spokespersons saying, you know, any disagreement means like Josh Hawley, who wants to be the president, what he really wants he is, is Chris Hedges' slot on RT. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> like, it's yeah. ridiculous, right? I mean, yeah, I mean that, is that's a, pretty yeah. funny because if you go back to the Obama administration, remember when Mitt Romney was discussing Russia all the time? And yep. it was that that slide where we're like, you know, uh, Obama's like, this is not the Soviet Union. It's the Cold War is over. And then when uh, the Hillary camp came in, they were very anti-Russia immediately. And yep. that goes back to like, uh, you know, it, it goes back to my, you know, I worked in the Obama uh, campaign in 2008. And I, mm-hmm. I, I remembered how everyone from the Hillary campaign got actually hired on to work in the Obama administration. It was like pretty disappointing for a lot of people. Okay, and, oh, oh, everybody, everybody from everybody in the Hillary campaign was selected by Obama to get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all the people. Who yeah, worked I, I, Obama, I remember somebody. Oh. Yeah, somebody told me who worked on this. Like it was literally more predictive if you worked for his opponent to yeah, have gotten absolutely. a job than the other way around. Yeah, yeah. it was. It yeah. was really disappointing because you're like, hey, I was on the right side of history. We did the thing. We did, you know, I, I door knocked in yeah. Central Pennsylvania. All the things. It's Barack, Barack Obama, man. Like, I just yeah, like, he's got no loyalty. No loyalty whatsoever. Yeah. And no. uh, you know, and the thing is that what you saw is that then you saw these people like Victoria Newland and you know uh you know Scully's different people who are extreme Russia hawks you know coming to the yeah. Obama administration and that carried over to the uh the Clinton uh sort of pre-administration if you will because they basically had our administration waiting and now you see it in the the Biden administration it's quite shocking actually yeah I mean we can get into this I mean so everybody talks about like how does uh yeah like how does Trump have all these generals who hate him, et cetera, all these cabinet secretaries is always firing. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, Trump would fire his people a lot quicker than, than Biden or Obama. Obama family didn't like to fire anybody. Right. But like, I mean, the fact is like, were, were, were Biden or Obama's staffing choices any more coherent? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like in terms of like, no. I mean, to the extent that these guys, yeah, like I mean, I think they all have a, something of a worldview. I know that everyone thinks they're nihilists, but like, like I think you know, there is a Trumpism, there is an Obamaism, there's a Bidenism, and like, is there, is there like, I just don't see how Trump administration was like stand out disastrous in terms of like having people in the room who didn't agree with the boss. I think that has been a con- constant um, through the last three administrations. Now, of course, like. Uh, the Bush administration was like more ideological, ideologically cohesive and efficient and things worked. It was just really bad. <laughs> right. So like, so sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, this can be good, right. This sort of sclerosis, uh, uh, stasis within the government or, the, you know, lack of agreement, but like in theory, like you would have, you would have a worldview 
the worldview would be executed and the worldview would be right. And uh, I think the U.S. has been, it's been quite some time since we've had that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, mean, I, mean I don't know. I mean, take like Syria. Remember, like, I mean, it was, it was, it was I mean, sort of famous. Like Obama yeah. was going to go in in Syria in 2013. Remember this? And then he got up in the Rose Garden. and was like, we want to put it to Congress. And, um, you know, like then Obama changed his mind and then figured out that everybody in his cabinet besides him and his chief of staff and a few others disagreed with him on staying out. So this has been going on for a while. Um, I mean, you, you just, you know, staffing has not been a forte of the last three presidents. Hey, sorry to interrupt. Hope you're enjoying this free episode of The Popular Show. If you're liking our stuff, if you dig the questions we ask and the voices we platform, maybe you could help us grow the project a little over at patreon.com forward slash thepopularpod. For £3 a month or your local equivalent, subscribers get access to our hottest episodes first, as well as regular subscribers-only episodes. Yeah, I guess the difference is that uh, Trump stands out uh, in that line in being the only one where the kind of offer before his election, I guess we, we could call it Bannonism, that kind of countercultural anti-systemic offer was such to raise a lot of people's expectations. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. Trump's also unique in that line in having kind of produced in his wake a relatively kind of coherent um, new ideology within the rise that um, is partly trying to kind of continue the schism he represented and also partly trying to kind of correct the mistakes and correct the course. I, I think I think it's a very good point that like, Trump was no more incoherent than his predecessors. I guess the yeah. difference is that there were a lot of people from a lot of different perspectives who like really wanted this to be a massive break and really wanted this to produce yeah. a, a kind of real change. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose the distinctions would be you're saying that Trumpism ultimately feels like a more revolutionary project than Obamaism. Yeah, yeah, I, I think and then yeah, so you, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Trumpism is more ultimately revolution, revolutionary than the the most charismatic but ultimately boring bureaucratic president imaginable, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, right? I don't know. That's what Obama ended up being, right? I, yeah. I mean, like, is, is, that, is that is that unfair? I mean, I, no, no, he was just like unfair. a really I, technocratic yeah. center left guy. Not not unfair at all. And, um, you know, I, I worked in think tanks in D.C. for a while and we would work with the Obama administration. It was it was like pulling teeth to do like yeah. very normal stuff. Like just I mean, like when they did it, they did it right. Like I like that about them. Like they usually typically implemented the thing the way it was supposed to be implemented. But like to get them to do stuff that they wanted to yep. do was very difficult. Yep. You know, and like, and like I found that like very frustrating because you're like, what? You'd be on the phone and you'd be like, hey, we're going to stop this event or whatever. And it was just constant, yeah. just just like it was like running through sand all the time. Yeah. And I couldn't I, I, I couldn't understand why it was like that. I mean, uh, well, uh, I know you want to make about Trump and the right, but just it's a quick aside. I mean, like, I think Obama consciously exploited his background and. Uh, you know, background in sort of like hard left politics, community organizing, uh, you know, the black little machine in Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the sort of young, hip, cool guy, like, I mean, he, he exploited the Che iconot. I mean, like literally the change picture. So like, you know, that mobilized the base of the Democratic Party to get him over the top of the Dem primary. And also to, you know, I think, I, I think he won by more than Hillary would have. I can't prove it. But I, I, I mean, there was just so much buzz. I turned 18 that year. Yeah. So, you know, so much buzz in 08. Um, but I mean, in office, I mean, you know, like, look, people are who they are, right? I mean, like, he's, he's a guy who's he's got a movie deal with Jeff Bezos, and he yachts with Richard Branson, right? I mean, this is like, not, this is, he, he's, a, he's, he's a corporatist. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's arguable that, um, you know, I think the Bush people deserve to get thrown out hard in 08. Um, but it's arguable that it's not super clear that Obama was a very effective reformer or that competent. Um, I think he's very poised. 
but you know, it's not super clear that even if he was competent, what he actually wanted to do. I mean, like, what were they trying? They, 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 like, they did. They set up a healthcare exchange. Like, I think that was ultimately better. Um, maybe I don't know. I mean, like, the the consumer mandate really rankles people, and that was a huge debate for like three years. And then apparently, the Trump people can make the consumer mandate, the individual mandate, zero, and it didn't matter. So that was also a waste of political capital. Anyways, I'm rambling here, but I'm, my my point is, what did Obama really wanted to do? He wanted to do you know piecemeal healthcare reform not socialized medicine, right? He wanted to do like the TPP. He wanted to do the Iran deal. He didn't get any of those done, right? He got the Iran deal done. It was completely, it was vetoed by his successor. It's just like not super clear in my opinion on like on the macro level, what even happened between 2009 and 2016 in the United States. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. more and more has <laughs> happened like under Trump and Biden. It's, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, some, some of that's history, right? The Leninist thing, you know, sometimes, you know, decades, blah, blah, blah. But like, it just feels like the last six years more happened under Trump and Biden than yeah. like, like substantially than Obama, right? Yeah. No, it was it was quite interesting. I mean, having worked in D.C. during that time, I I, I, I helped lobby on the Iran deal, and uh, it was yeah. it was really crazy. It was like like people who should have been supportive of it weren't, and it and it and it. I think I think it had a lot to do with that. People thought like, okay, we have uh, we have a majority, or like you know, we have you know power and. We could do a lot with it. So I think it's like one of those things where like you're at the the buffet and you can choose whatever you want and people get pickier. Like you're like, you don't really know what you want. Right. Yeah. And, and I think for for Biden, it's a little bit different because they really don't have many choices, I, I think, because of the, you know, sort of makeup of the sentence, et cetera. So I, I, I wonder if 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 Trump made, you know he he uh ordered what he w- wanted off the menu more than obama did because they didn't have many many choices if trump ordered off the menu can you repeat, can you like repeat if the, he if he insight? like made he made better choices uh, off the menu or for his cause uh oh. because because he didn't have many choices at all you know it's like it's like if you go to a good diner and you say like okay there's like three things in the menu and you're like okay i'll order the steak yeah. and eggs you know yeah yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, part of it obviously is that I mean, I mean, if Trump runs in twenty twenty four, then like it's that that's like three elections that Trump gets as opposed to Obama's two. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it certainly appears that like the, the the cadre associated with with Trumpism, whatever, has fresher ideas, has at least more, you don't have to agree with the ideas, but it has more on offer. Like what like what is Obamaism anymore? Right? I mean, I think you've got. The Democratic, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, I think Biden is different than Obama, but going back to the staffing thing, um, I mean, look, this is somebody who was knifed repeatedly by Obama, right? I mean, like Obama tried to do a ticket switch in 2012, by, you know, Obama clearly muscled Biden out in 16. Obama didn't want Biden to be the nominee in 2020. And what did Biden do? He put in a bunch of retreads from Obama's administration, right? So like... Yeah. You know, I, I think if you like hear Biden talk, you know, this is still kind of the guy who wrote the crime bill, right? Like, and like you hear Biden talk about Russia, he doesn't care about it like Jen Psaki. Oh, you know, who cares if they think Eastern Ukraine, minor incursion, right? Which is like a violation of everything the Democrats have been saying the last five years. But, you know, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, like this is this is the establishment Democratic Party's administration and Biden is just the head of the party. And it's not clear that he has either the stamina, interest, or heft to, to remake the Democratic Party, especially at 79. And so, like, I think you're, you, you just, you know, it's, it's, it's the sort of corporate, corporate wing of the, of, of the country at this point. I mean, I'm, I'm looking out at the Los Angeles skyline right now. It's like, how many, how many, of, these, uh, how many of these buildings are owned by Republicans? How many, is Republic, how, how, many is, how many of these buildings are owned by Bannon Republicans? You know, yeah. how many and then, then how many buildings are owned by Sanders or uh, Democrats? Maybe yeah. a few. Right. Maybe a few, especially some of the younger ones, maybe. And then like and then how many of them are owned by effectively, you know, Biden, Clinton, Obama, Democrats? I'm going to guess 90 percent. Right. Yeah. And so like that is the country's corporate wing, the establishment Democratic Party. And it's just like you understand that. Then you understand the opening the Republicans have because the Republicans represent a huge ton of working class and poor people, whether or not they want to. I think there's people like McConnell and Romney who are like, hey, I thought this was the country club party. That's why we sent, signed up anyways. Um, and so they're increasingly aloof to how to talk to their own voters. But I mean, I, I just think, you know, with, with the enormous exception of the Democrats representing uh, the most, you know, benighted uh, minority in the country, that's 
for black people, right? With the enormous exception of that, the Republicans represent a lot of poor people and it's changing things. Um, I wanted to ask if there is maybe the kind of precariousness of like the 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 the, uh, the fraction within the right that most wants that change. Um, I mean, it, it might make sense to say that uh, the Republican Party is in some ways going to be forced into the hands of this new right precisely because of that poorer and more diverse voter base that that yeah. Trump accelerated uh, uh, into it. Um, at the same time, I mean, I, I just see a lot of the same sort of problems that we had with the Corbyn project. First yeah. of all, is a, a party infrastructure that is happy to lose as long as it doesn't have to uh, radically change itself or, you know, that would rather lose than serve those that new Trump coalition. Um, the fact that for all that... You know, You're talking we, about the player people. Basically, yeah, exactly, exactly. They'd they'd, they'd rather. Um, I don't. I don't think it's that. Ex- I don't think it's that extreme. I mean, like no. Blair, like actively was against Corbyn, right? Like he like exactly. thought it would like he didn't he didn't endorse Cameron or he didn't endorse Johnson or he didn't endorse May. Corbyn ran against all three, didn't he? What did he only run against? No, Miliband ran against Cameron, but but Corbyn ran twice against Cameron and sorry against Johnson and uh, yeah, May, so right? He, he ran against. He, he saw he, he saw off David Cameron over the yeah the referendum. Then he yeah he he was sort of responsible for discrediting Theresa May, and then he lost to to Boris Johnson. Yeah, pretty badly. Yeah, got it. So and but I mean like but like I don't think Blair officially endorsed Johnson or May, right? But he basically said I think it's better for Corbyn to lose, essentially, right? If yeah. I understand it. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess so my only my only point my only point is like someone like Mitch McConnell uh, would not say that. No. So it's a okay. slight distinction. It's not quite as ridiculous as you guys do respect. No, no, sure. Okay. Um, I mean, the, the other the other sort of pieces of the comparison would be that like we, we're in agreement that uh, this milieu has all of the energy uh, and all of the momentum mm-hmm. uh, around it right now and you know whatever their kind of personal level of sincerity a, a Josh Hawley or a Tucker Carlson you know is, is absolutely right to think that this is the thing to uh, identify themselves uh, with um, but still like wh- where's the money though where where, where, mm. where where is the institution at it's all as we learn the hard way it's all very well Having all the ideas and all and all the kind of um, uh, uh, intellectual credibility, um, and the mm-hmm. other thing is, is maybe a, a slightly kind of deeper problem that a lot of this new right thought combines this kind of main street conservatism as against, mm-hmm. as against Wall Street conservatism um, and this uh, anti-interventionist uh, sort, of, I, sort of isolationism uh, as uh, as theorized by Steve Bannon. It combines that quite often with almost kind of Catholic ideas of the common good, of, of kind of decommodified sense of morality yeah. and very sort of conservative Christian uh, mm-hmm. social views, particularly on abortion. And those things are not necessarily um, identical with the often quite libertarian um, mm-hmm. affect of quite a lot of those Trump voters. So I wonder if there are both kind of external and internal kind of ways in which there's actually quite an uphill battle, despite the fact that it looks like, and you know, even enemies like uh, like David Brooks think that you know the job is done and this is what conservatism is now. Whew, uh, quite a bit there. Um, so <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a real skillet, uh, to use it. It's like, a, it's, 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 a, that's the wrong thing. Like skillet eggs, right? It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real omelet. I, I, I think, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take the religious thing, uh, first. I, I think that among conservative elites, uh, there is an overrepresentation of like pretty religious, you know, like if you're, a, if you're an intellectual, uh, and you are conservative. There's a very good chance that you're you're, you're fairly religious, um, not 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 exclusively, 
And I think there is a, you know, a real Catholic thing. Um, and that, that's, that goes back to, I don't know, the Federalist Society, the, the, the kind of the, arguably the most successful project of sort of producing conservative elites, right? The SCOTUS nominees. Um, yeah, I think that's all there. And there, there is a potential flashpoint uh, on this subject. Like, so consider, like, I mean, the Democrats, the, the elite Democrats believe in a lot of this woke identity politics stuff, right? And then when they try to govern, they start bleeding their own voters who are not as uh, left wing, right? And so you can see in government something like that, like, um, uh, you know, let's say uh, the Republicans get in and like try to severely ban Internet pornography or something. I, I think that seems a little far fetched, uh, but it's not impossible to imagine. Right. I mean, and like, you know, what, what would the what would that look like in terms of keeping the Republican coalition together or, or also just like staying in power? I think those are all questions. I think the, the I think the problem, though, with, with, you know, a lot of these intellectual things is like the brass pat. The, the, the brass tacks here is that, uh, you know, a party is going to win the election and the party is going to occupy these positions. Um, and that's kind of the, the frontline battle there, right? So, like, I think what's most interesting is that you see Republicans almost in spite of themselves. I mean, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a matter of, of organization. It's almost a matter of gravity. They are picking up, um, I, I think, clearly Latino and to a lesser extent Asian voters and look poised to build a a, a new coalition of a sort of multiracial working class party, um, and most of the work there is just is just um, it's just 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 gravity, or because because the woke Democratic Party is is very much turning people off. Now you're right. Where is the money? Where is the organization? Uh, who are the people behind this? How is this going to work? How is this not going to get demolished? You know, all fair questions. But my my answer is there's not that much of that now, and they're all they're already almost at the goalpost. I mean, like, I mean, would you take the Democrats if an election was held today? No, oh, no, I wouldn't. No, no, sure. Okay, sure. yeah. So, like, so my point is, my point is, yeah. I think, I think, I think the prudential question would be, why, why won't this, you know, uh, be a shambolic mess if they get in power again, right? Um, but that's a little bit different than like, are they going to win? And Corbyn, due respect, also ultimately struggled to win. He got close in seventeen, got blown out in nineteen. Yeah. Um, the Republicans looked like they could win. I mean, they almost won in twenty, right? And, uh, you know, they won in 16 and uh, in 2024, I mean, it looks like they're almost cracking their popular vote problems, right? Like, I mean, I think the Democrats would still be favored to win the popular vote, but it's not nearly as catastrophic as, I, as, it, as it once seemed. I mean, it used to be like you could imagine a serious popular vote national uh, electoral college split, right? You could imagine where the Republicans juice their margins with white working class people in, mid, in the Midwest and get more and more blown out. Uh, in places like the Southwest, but that's not happened because of the sort of you know racial realignment that appears to be happening. The Republicans are competitive to win the popular vote, not favored, perhaps not likely, but like you know if the Democrats get absolutely run out of town, I think you could see the Republicans win the popular vote in a presidential election for, for the first time in 20 years, which is no small development. That, that actually brings up uh, a lot of interesting questions about sort of COVID and, you know, sort of the future of like populism and, and the right. And it, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is that uh, you have this sort of confluence of uh, frustrations that I, you're starting to see a little bit more on sort of, I would actually say the center left. Uh, I think the, the left has been pretty hard lockdown supportive. Um, and you, you see on the right that people are, are kind of like moving on or had moved on or never really even acknowledged sort of the COVID situation. Um, what effect do you think that COVID will have on sort of how some of this, uh, these broader sort of like interchanges between left populism, right populism play out? How to, like what, what, what's going to happen with COVID? Yeah, Sorry, like I know, so, I know, no, I know, I know the way you said. Yeah, what you said was more that, sophisticated. No, 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 it's not. It's fine. It's fine. Um, it's not necessarily like what is going to happen with COVID, but but how COVID will affect these things. I I see um, some very interesting through lines on um, just the way people are relating to some of the the restrictions and some of the the issues. I'm in Canada now. I mean, we have a mm -hmm. one of the the weirdest sort of. Uh, 
reactions to COVID restrictions going on with the with a convoy. Um, <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite. So it's I, quite I'm sorry. I know. I know. I know. Go ahead, I know go Canada ahead. is a real country. It's a very serious yeah. country. But there's just something about the Canadian coverage of the U.S. It's just it's just uh, like it's this anything is. And then of course, like Trudeau is just like a parody of a center left Canadian, and yeah. so there's just like the whole thing is yeah. really funny to, to yeah. everybody. And, in and, the, and the Conservative Party, <laughs> yeah, we have a guy named Aaron O'Toole who was yes. running the. Yeah, I mean he's he's uh, like he's, he's called he's called Tool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's, he's just he's just like you know like the the biggest mayo head I've ever seen in my life. And it's just like We're, it's so interesting <laughs> because and then you have Jagmeet Singh who's who's like a you know pretty. He's in charge place. of the uh, of, of the the what the Mulcair party. What is that? It's, He's it's the NDP the party. Yeah, yeah. It's NDP. National, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the NDP is like like an interesting party, like on a sort of regional level, and you know they've done some interesting things in government. That's the reason we have like nationalized healthcare, well, or provincialized healthcare that's sort of nationalized. You know, it's 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 a little more complicated yeah. than you know than people realize. But it's uh it's like it's like if Bernie Sanders was in charge of the party but was also in charge of like like a New England confederation yeah, exactly. of old yeah. socialists. Yeah, yeah. exactly it. exactly. It. Yeah. And it's 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 pretty interesting to see because uh, you know we, uh, we despite our sort of left leanings have been anti mandates in a lot of ways. And right. you know I, I think that it's like you know, I'm a, I'm a liberty guy. Like, you know, I'm, I'm American yeah. in that way. And yeah. it, it's been very interesting to me because I, I, I see like kind of how it's played out here and everything in Canada is kind of like a weird copy of the U.S. in a lot yeah. of ways, especially on the conservative side. You, you can laugh about it, though. But um, I mean, Trudeau is a you know, turning this fucking parade of lorries into public enemy number I one. I can't crazy. even I can't even keep track if, if you really like I understand like you should make fun of it, you know, when people are actually being misinformed, it's bad. But yeah. has he fled or not? It's so unclear. Yeah. So so <laughs> it, it, the, White, the it, White House has done the same thing with uh, <laughs> you know intervening in, in in order to declare that Spotify should indeed get rid of oh Joe Rogan. God. It's like in both cases, COVID isn't scary enough anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you have to sort of like make this new enemy, but in both cases you've chosen like the most hilarious like, example. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's funny, yes, especially yes. because the I mean the the administration here is has been very hard, and and, and so my wife writes a, a bit about indigenous issues here in Canada, and they've been yep. extremely hard on on you know sort of similar blockades by indigenous groups that I you know I think were you know rightful in a lot of ways and you know we don't we don't really have this here in the yeah US, which is and we, actually, we may yeah. we, but it, it's yeah. it's french right like the french yeah. do this and yeah, so it's, there's a little bit of i think that that's quite in and plus we have this sort of uh western issue like it's like you know that we have the western provinces they were added later they have uh, yeah. a little bit more of a uh sort of uh american style of sort of uh liberty um so you're seeing this sort of weird interchange where like in canada they're actually like standing up a little bit more in a more organized way but it's also quite strange and i right. don't know what the impact i think on the politics here i, I don't think the liberals are going to lose power but i think that there is something about the Youngkin uh, sort of election and things like that yeah that it's i think that will play out in the u.s and i'm i'm, I'm very interested in that how does Youngkin affect Canada? You mean you, so, you mean, you mean the, the ties are just going right way? I'm yeah, right I think way. I think yeah, yeah the conservative energies. Yeah, there. yeah. I think that there, there's things about the way uh, these overall sort of global policies that are sort of top down are affecting local issues, and I think that that's going to help conservatives in ways that I don't think Democrats are anticipating. Well, it's interesting because I mean, are we still like I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting parallels between. Uh, you know, war on terror and COVID and government, you know, and there's, there's the big sort of, I mean, obviously the financial crisis is big, but it's not a, not a violent shock, right? Uh, literally, right? In terms of deaths. Um, I mean, I know there's deaths according to suicide financial, but you get you know what I'm saying, right? Like, like, like something came out of nowhere and uh, society reacted, right? And so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because in the U.S., uh, it's a split decision, right? Trump was in charge of the early part of the pandemic. And then Biden has taken uh, what I hope is the second half, uh, hopefully not the second inning, but, you know, versus, uh, you know, uh, Boris owns the pandemic, as you are seeing, 
now, and uh, Trudeau owns the pandemic, pandemic, right? And so, like, it's it's more, um, it's cleaner in a lot of ways in those countries. Um, and I and I think I think the lack of clarity in the U.S. matters because you see stuff like debates about. I mean, it's interesting because I think. Uh, I mean, you know, there's just there's just there's all there's all different wings. So, like, I mean, if I take like different, like, let's just take some some prominent Republicans, right? So like Trump's position was we should have locked down and the vaccine is good, right? He's not pro-mandate. There's no pro-mandate big Republicans, right? But he's like, the vaccine is good. We should have locked down. Uh, you know, DeSantis is in Florida, right? Is, I mean, he's revealed, like, you know, he basically thought the lockdown was, was crock by late March, right? And he was saying that by May in Florida, effectively. And he's also pro-vaccine, right? Um, and granted, anti-mandate and hasn't disclosed whether or not he got a booster, which was a fight with Trump. So like, but like he got the first two doses, right? And he also was, in, this time last year, Sanders was in trouble because he streamlined vaccine access to certain senior communities. And I, I honestly don't know enough about the scandal to know if there's any validity to it, but things change quickly is my point. And then, you know, take someone like Carlson. Carlson was pro-lockdown. And I'm not saying he's anti-vaccine, but he certainly airs a lot of anti-vaccine sentiments on his show. Like he, you know, he's just asking questions or having that bent. So it's sort of all over over the place. Versus like if the Republicans have been out of power um, when this happened, you might have seen a more you know clearly both anti-lockdown and anti-vaccine party. Full disclosure, my my own preferences on this because I just think like I, I'm just going to give them as a human being. I, I was pretty locked down skeptical, and I'm pretty pro, and I'm very pro vaccine. And I think yeah. like history, I think history will record the lockdown was an overreach and uh, messed this up more than was worth it. I'm not sure how many lives we saved, and I think you know, I think that the anti vaccine stuff is nonsense, yeah. um, and people should get vaccinated. Those are yeah. my own preferences. No, I, I think statistically, they, they, I, I just was, uh, I, I just heard about a study about, you know, sort of now I'm in Newfoundland. So we had like a literally, you couldn't come into the province. Like it was like a, we were literally like, like a New Zealand type situation. So our, our, our levels are very low. That's different. Right. But like in a normal place that isn't an Island in the middle of the Atlantic, it's like, you know, almost impossible to like do those types of things. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that those, um, those lockdowns didn't really help very much. And, you know, like no. what, to what end and, and like, what, will there be any reckoning about that? That's, that's very interesting to me. Or like, at least somebody would say like, Hey, we didn't know we did what we could, you know, but I, I don't see much of that going on. No, no. Um, it's, that's depressing. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, I think the, the closest, the closest is that, I mean, I don't like, I don't boost it, but the closest is, that is actually DeSantis, right? I mean, like this, this is somebody who has shown like at least clear, decisive leadership, right? I mean, it's, it's like, hey, Florida's not going to lock down quite like California or New York where a lot of the country did. Uh, we're going to let people live their lives. Also, we're home to like the oldest population in the United States. I, I think Vermont might be older, but like a lot of old people in Florida. We're going to get them all vaccinated. You should get vaccinated. And oh, also, we're not going to do a vaccine mandate. Okay. You can disagree with any of those positions, but it's a very clear choice on offer, right? No lockdowns. Vaccines are good. Vaccines aren't required. That's like a clear thing that they are messaging on. And like, that's a choice people can make versus, the, you know, versus, I mean, the democratic position seems to be, you know, the lockdown was good. Vaccines are good. We're going to do the mandates, but also kind of not. And then we're just going to have an endless tide of shame coming from the White House pulpit. I mean, I, I just, I just, I mean, like, I mean, if it was DeSantis versus Biden or DeSantis against Jen Psaki, I just think like, and you think people are going to make a change, it, it, it would seem like that they would be pretty heavily favored. And like, yeah, I mean, like, I understand why we did a lot of these things, but like, I just like, was Florida that bad? Were the deaths that, I mean, like, it was Georgia an exercise at human sacrifice as the Atlantic headline, you know, read in May 2020? Like, I don't know. I don't think so. Kurt Mills, thanks so much for joining us on the popular show. This has been an invaluable uh, examination of the states of uh, American politics and also uh, a glimpse into the particular shifting dynamics uh, of the right 
right now. Thanks so much for joining us, and I hope we can continue this conversation uh, at, at another time. Thanks, guys. Uh, if you're uh, ever stateside or in LA or DC, we should get a drink. So appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to it. Thank you so much, and it's a, it's a real pleasure.